Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Today we have episode 254 with Lieutenant Tyson Kilby. Uh, Going to be an awesome show. I got my buddies Byron and Joe here. How are you two guys doing today? I'm doing good, Gary. Good to be here with you. Yeah, we're, Byron. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks. It's another another good uh, day to be recording with you guys and and sharing jujitsu with our uh, podcasting community. So we're excited today. Uh, Tyson Kilby. Uh, it was a real, it was a fun interview for me. It's, it was different than the typical interview I'm used to. Tyson wrote a book called Fundamental Handgun Mastery. If you are uh, into shooting, if you are, you know, you know, if you have a have a firearm as a uh, or a handgun in, in your line of work, it'd be definitely something to look at. But uh, yeah, he shares a lot of knowledge uh, in that category. He's also a jiu-jitsu guy, so it's kind of fun to look at the two different comparisons and uh, talk about training and learning one or the other or, or different similarities. And man, it's just a lot going on. And uh, of course, jiu-jitsu from the law enforcement side is something that he brings that we're always happy to to learn about yeah i train up with a lot of law enforcement people i I train up at the the police academy a lot with those guys and uh you know i I always hear them talking about you know shooting fundamentals you know how to tie in uh you know jujitsu with their jobs so uh you know i just think it's great that uh law enforcement professionals are are you know trying to uh sharpen their mind and body you gotta stay sharp and uh best ways with a sharpening brick right carrie Definitely you want to have a sharpening brick. <laughs> and uh, basically, if you check our uh, show notes, we do have a link to the BJJ Brick Sharpening Brick. It's only uh, nineteen ninety nine, and uh, it's, a, it's a great value. We've got a lot of great uh, great feedback from it, huh, Byron? Yeah, I, I don't really know how that works out, Gary. But uh, we do have a link in the show notes uh, for six games for BJJ. Uh, the games are designed to play while you roll. I hope you uh, get better at jiu faster, develop uh, your unique game, and, and really have fun with your teammates and help them develop their games as well and explore jiu-jitsu. Um, the book is an audio book, so it'll be a lot like you're listening to now. It's a little over an hour long, and uh, there's six different games in there that you could play while you're rolling. If that's something that you're interested in, uh, check it out. I'd like to hear how that has affected your game. Uh, playing these type of games have had a big impact on me, and I'm happy to share that with you. So it's five ninety nine, and there'll be an actual link to it in the BJJ Brick uh, website show notes. So check it out if you're interested. And as Byron said, that's an actual link, not like the uh, fake link that I was just talking about, the sharpening brick. All right. Well, that brings us to the portion of the show where we talk about an off-the-mat lesson and then drag it on the mat or vice versa. And uh, I was thinking uh, about uh, eight years ago, I went to work in Brazil. I'm a mariner by trade, run boats in the Gulf of Mexico in the oil field and uh, my boss told me there were some opportunities overseas and he said you can either go to the uh, west coast of Africa or Brazil and I thought about it for a while like three seconds and said I'll go to Brazil but interestingly he, he said don't worry about the language it's not a big deal because I told him I don't speak any Portuguese and he said don't worry you'll get down there everybody you need to talk to will speak Portuguese or will speak English well he lied to me so I get, I get down there and I get on the boat and there's 12 guys on the boat. I'm the only American. About half of the crew is uh, Brazilians that don't speak any English. 
and about half of the crew is uh, various places from Latin America, Chile and Colombia and Peru and and uh, Spanish and Portuguese is very similar. So they pick up on Portuguese pretty quick and most of them studied a little bit of English in school. So I'm using them as translators. And while I was down there, I worked there for about two years, I did pick up enough Portuguese to communicate with my crew. I had to learn real quick how to say port and starboard and fore and aft and you know how to, how to say stop and you know the things that you need to to be able to say to communicate with your crew. How to tell them to tie the lines on the boat when we're tying up, how to let the lines go when we let go. and So I could uh, do that, but I can't carry on a conversation with anybody about sports or the weather. And the reason is because I memorize phrases as opposed to actually learning all the building blocks of the language. You know, you, you've got you've to learn how to turn uh, singular words into plural words and how to turn present tense into past tense or future tense. And it's actually very similar to jujitsu. Some people can advance to a degree in jujitsu by just learning moves. But you have to learn the in-between the moves, the transitions and the fundamentals and, and the building block of it. You can you can memorize five different sweeps, but if you don't understand the fundamentals of the guard that you're playing, you're, you're, you're only going to be able to, to perform in certain contexts. Does that make any sense, Gary? Yeah, it definitely makes sense, uh, Professor Thomas. Um, you know, I really like that. And what you're talking about, I, I, you know, my wife is a teacher and I talk to her all the time. She's a science teacher. And, you know, I always had trouble with science. I, I was never very good at it. But, you know, like you're saying, needing to know the, the building blocks and everything. And, and um, like I kind of tell her now is like, man, if, if I could go back and learn science today, if somehow somebody could teach physics or geometry and throw in jujitsu concepts or wrestling concepts, you know, I would get it. It's just nobody could ever figure out how to explain it to me. But, um, um, yeah, you're right. You really do need to know the, the concepts, uh, uh, you know, the blocks to make it all fit together. But you can be really good, you know, just knowing a few moves and being very good at it. But uh, you're going to stall at a certain level without, uh, you know, having a a real big background and know the ins, ins and outs of, uh, you know, grappling. It sounds like you basically learned how to communicate with the things that were the most important. But, like, having... I bet that really stalled out, like, building relationships with these people, making friendships, and that sort of, Like, being able to carry a conversation is a big deal when it comes to hanging out with somebody and, and getting to know them personally. So, yeah, you're able to refer to the boat or the ship, and, and, and things that you guys want to do on that are all very, very relevant. But outside of that, it's hard to talk about somebody's family or, you know... Uh, how, how they're doing this today, all those sort of uh, just normal conversation things. You, you need more of a structure as far as uh, learning the language goes. And same, yeah, same thing with jiu-jitsu. If <laughs> you could learn a few things here or there and try to piece it together, but if you learn like the fundamentals of why jiu-jitsu works, you'll be able to be a lot more creative. And uh, it goes from doing a move to carrying on a conversation and just go and able to put things together. Maybe some, maybe you kind of come up with a combo that most people haven't seen before that you didn't get shown, but you figured it out. Yeah, that's, sure. that's, a, that's a great analogy to the difference between being able to say a few phrases and actually turn it into a conversation. And once you understand how a sentence is, is built and you understand the verbs and, and all the other parts and pieces that go along with it, 
then as you learn new words, you can you can fit them into a conversation. That's kind of the same thing with jujitsu. Once you figure out how, say, the closed guard works, then each move you get, you can and add it in easier and, and start to make sentences and then paragraphs and then and then books like your six games for BJJ. Joe, how long were you uh, down there working? Uh, I worked on like a 90 and 30 rotation, and I did that for two years. I was going to say, I bet as soon as you got back to the States, I bet you were just talking to everybody just so you could have a conversation uh, and, uh, you know, talk to people. Oh, even down there, man, I'd run into an English speaker and it's like, oh, let's visit for a while. <laughs> Although I'll tell you one time I was, uh, I, I was on my way to jujitsu and I was in a parking garage waiting for the gym to open up. And some guy comes up and starts talking to me in Portuguese. And I said, uh, uh, no fala Portuguese. I could say that. I could say I don't speak Portuguese. And he goes, oh, you speak English. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got really excited. And then he said, well, if you have a minute, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus Christ and the Church of the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> so, uh, then he anyway. sold you some Amway. Something like that. <laughs> It depends how desperate you are for conversation. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's funny. Well, uh, you know, the the cool thing is you, you went down there. You had no fear. You didn't know the language. And, uh, you know, you just took the chance. And, uh, you know, you overcame your fears. And, uh, you know, one thing that Dr. Henry Link says is we generate fears while we sit. We overcome them by action. You know, that's our, our quote of the week. And, and what do you guys think about that? I think that's a great quote for jujitsu <laughs> and yep. in, in dealing with fears. If uh, if you want to compete and that's something that you, you're pushing yourself to do, that's great. But when you do that, you'll be a little bit nervous. You might call it fear. Uh, there's one thing you could think about that will help calm those fears is think about how hard you've trained coming up to this point. And if you've trained hard, if you've been involved in action – you could rely on the fact that you trained very hard for this and your actions that happened in the months preceding this this match are going to pay off and that will help uh, alleviate your fears. So if you don't train hard for something that, it could be anything, but a tournament's a good example. Of course you're going to be super nervous showing up for it because you know you're trying to kind of hope for a weaker opponent, you're trying to game the system, you're trying to trying to find a way to, to do well in this tournament but not actually have put the work behind you. And yeah, that, you should be nervous for that. But if you're confident with your training, and you train with good people who push you, and you know you, you train hard, that's the action part. You it won't necessarily make you fearless, but you could rest assured that you did what you could to get to this point. And the rest is, uh, you know, still to be determined. But yeah, as long as you do your best, you got nothing to worry about. Absolutely. Just start. Just start working. Uh, I, I kind of look at it, and I think uh, we generate fears while we sit. And I think that's uh, kind of like how, how your mind can just work when you're when you're idle, and uh, we overcome them when we're active. And um, I think sometimes about in a match when you're you get that moment of indecisiveness because you're like, yeah, if I do this, this bad thing could happen. And if you, if you, if you hesitate in that moment, then your fears can grow and your indecision can and get the best of you. And sometimes it's better just to, to move forward and uh, take that chance. Yeah. Yeah, huh? definitely. Go ahead. Gary. Yeah, definitely, Joe. You know, it, it's that, uh, 
our mind can play some serious tricks on us if uh you know our mind can be our worst enemy and uh you know i i talk about all the time at jujitsu is when i'm out there on the mat you know i just don't think about anything you i'm just uh you know all my problems you know not just talking about a jujitsu match but all my problems go away and um you know it's just like when you're when i have idle time and i'm sitting and my mind starts wondering that's when uh you know i can get myself in trouble you know i start i can start having self-doubt and like byron said you know put in you know let's say i start having some self-doubt about a tournament if i know i put in that work i I worked hard uh to get ready for this tournament i ate well i got plenty of rest i i worked on my cardio i worked on my technique i worked on my stand-up and uh, i i know i you know dotted all the i's crossed the t crossed all the t's i know my uh you know my mind's gonna be in the right spot because I know I have done everything I could do. Yeah, let's. So this this quote we uh, talk. It's it's not a jujitsu quote. So we really we took it, we drug it onto the mats, and we made it made it about jujitsu a little bit. Let's take it, you know, grab that collar and sleeve, and just drag it off of the mats. And this is this could be huge impact because uh, I know out of all the audience, we have people out there who are dealing with some pretty bad things, uh, just numbers wise, because there's things happen to people that are that are hard to say somebody that you uh, love or maybe even yourself is diagnosed with something that's pretty scary well you could sit there and think about it and generate all these fears or you could think about what's what am i gonna do with what am i doing today how could i make this a little bit better what steps can i can i make to um improve the quality of my life or you know improve my chances of recovering from this thing and that gives you something to do and so those actions uh, not only our distraction, but also generate like a positive feeling. So you could, you know, you can get diagnosed with something. You could sit on the couch and and watch Netflix for two months, and you kind of fade away. Or you could say, you know what, I'm going to start to exercise better, eat healthier, and, and and start doing, you know, some quality time with family or whatever. It depends on what it is. But you start putting actions into play, and it may not change the outcome, but you'll spend less time living in fear because you're busy doing something that is actually going to help you if there is a way to, to do better, to do better. And, uh, yeah, action is, is, is good. Action is also um, a great way to lead by example, you know. So <laughs> if same thing. Let's say you're a grandparent and you get hit with some bad news and it looks like you won't be around much longer. Well, you could fold up and, and, and put it away, you know what, I'm done, and, and be depressed for the last several months. Or you could realize that, you know what, further down the road, the, what I do now will be an example for the, the, my loved ones. So let's, um, let's carry on and, and, uh, and, and do some action and make the most of what, what you have left. And uh, <laughs> it's off the mat completely, but action is a big deal. And even if you're scared, doing something is usually better than nothing. And now we're swimming in the deep waters, boy. <laughs> Absolutely, Byron. <laughs> I think I'm drowning, but I'm going to take some action and I'm going to, you know, tread water. There you go. And, and like, like that could be it. You you could have been on uh, the ship with Joe, and he took a hard turn, and and you know, you end up in the water, and you could look at you're too far from the shore to swim, but you know, what? tread water for the next five minutes, and see what happens. Okay, you're not. You know, you know what? Sp- speaking of the Mariner here. That that reminds me of something. When we do our weekly abandoned ship drills, we talk about you know how to how to launch the life rafts, how to get from the vessel into the life rafts, and all that stuff. And one thing I always stress to the guys is, you get in the life raft, you got twelve guys in there. 
And the minute somebody starts saying, oh, crap, we're all going to die, you've lost the morale battle. You kick them and off overboard. Of, well, but one, <laughs> of the things you, one of the things you do to fight that, if you see a guy getting jittery, you see a guy on the verge of having a breakdown, you say, hey, uh, inventory of the medicine cabinet for us, inventory of the supplies. Or, or you say the floor to the life raft needs to be pumped up to insulate us from the cold water. You, you get them doing something. And you got to be proactive with that because once once one guy says, "Oh crap, we're all going to die," then the next guy's like, "Oh, you're right. You know what? Nobody's going to get here in time to help us." So yeah, you, that distraction is a big key. Joe, have you ever ran into a situation where you guys had to abandon ship? In, in my commercial fishing days, I, I've been in the water once, and I've been in the oh. water almost another time. The Coast Guard's had to save me a time or two. Yeah. Oh, so. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Gary, Gary, get this. So the industry, uh, they do monthly training to, for abandoned ship. But in the ship Joe's on, there's been written that you have to do it weekly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you, yep. you never know when it's the real deal. No, but, you know, the the industry standards, let's just say this is true. I don't know if you're making this up, Byron, <laughs> yes. but let's just say it really was monthly and Joe did it uh, weekly. That goes back to what we were talking about, overcoming your fears. You you know you've done everything possible. Joe is, you know, doing four times the amount of training. And when you do go in it, you know, you're probably going to be a little bit more prepared and, uh, you know, overcome those fears. Well, it's just like they say in sports. And I'm sure, Byron, you know this from your occupation. They say in sports that you practice like you play or, or you play like you practice. And that's what we tell the guys on the boat when they're drilling. When an emergency happens – if you've been sloppy and haphazard during the drills, you're going to be sloppy during the actual response to the emergency, and it's going to come back to bite you. Good point, Joe. That's probably a good off-the-mat off lesson yeah. for jiu-jitsu, too. Yeah, definitely. You got that right. So, you know, this takes us to our interview, with the fundamental handgun mastery. Uh, you got to train the way you want to perform. And if you're taking shortcuts in your training, you'll probably – have some trouble when it's actually time to perform. And that's a similar thing with jiu-jitsu. If you want to uh, do the armbar loose, you know, in training, you're probably not going to finish your armbar in reality. So a lot of similarities here. Let's bring us to our interview with Tyson Kilby. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. His rear naked choke is so potent that opponents have been known to disrobe upon contact. When he was a kid, he would always compete in the adult division. Now that he is an adult, he is considering making a run at the kids' title. He signed up for a sumo wrestling match. The group Salt and Pepper showed up without warning to sing their song, Push It. He not only pushed it, he pushed it real good. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do... I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Hey, sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends. I'm happy to bring Tyson Kilby to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Tyson, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks again. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here. We have a, a lot to talk about, jiu-jitsu, uh, law enforcement, and, and jiu-jitsu, and, and teaching. Um, you're also a firearms instructor, and, and I think that... The, I always try to find parallels with uh, learning one skill and then learning jiu-jitsu. And, and anything you can kind of learn from one and bring on to the other, I think, is interesting. But, uh, Tyson, give us a little bit of an introduction about who you are, where you're at, and what you're up to. Yeah, okay. 
Well, I'm um, I'm in the Kansas City area in Kansas, and I um, I teach jujitsu. I'm a jujitsu instructor here in Overland Park. I teach the day classes, and I do a lot of private lessons. I'm also um, it's I'm going to start my 19th year of law enforcement next month. I'm a lieutenant for the Johnson County Sheriff's Office. Um, uh, firearms instructor. I, I've started my own company six years ago, Top Firearms Instruction. And just like you were saying, I mix my two. Anybody who knows me, anyone who knows people who know me, <laughs> know that I mix my two hobbies of jujitsu and firearms together at every level, and I try to find parallels. So, you know, between working uh, in law enforcement and teaching and training and competing and doing all those things, it keeps me keeps me busy. So you've been uh, in law enforcement for a while. What got you started in that? Man, I uh, so I guess it would have been the year 2000. I was working uh, security, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I was working like mall security. Uh, <laughs> this was pre Paul Blart days, and I sometimes I would see some of the cops uh, come in, and you know I was doing community college and stuff like that, and and I was a martial artist at the time. I, I wasn't doing jujitsu yet, but anyway, I would get to know them, and then you know a couple of them just encouraged me to apply around, and uh, I did it, and uh, got on pretty quickly actually. And when did you start doing uh, jiu-jitsu or martial arts? So I started martial arts when I was five years old. I was, I was watching a, a movie on TV. It was actually Enter the Dragon. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just enthralled by it. You know, at five years old, you watch a movie over and over and over again. Well, I watched that thing, you know, over and yeah. over and over again. And my, mo- <laughs> my mom's like, do you want me to sign you up? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I want you to sign me up. So I did that. And, um, yeah, I actually did that all the way up past high school for about 19 years. Got a black belt in that style. It was a Japanese striking style called Shitoru. Um, and I had a blast. And actually, in that time period is when I was – exposed to um jujitsu because our entire school went to we had a doctor that trained with us and he had a big screen tv back in i guess it was 93 right the first ufc and we all watched the the first ufc and watched hoist on the big screen and i was again enthralled once again you know <laughs> yeah that's uh that is that is one uh, start to jujitsu that I've heard many many times. Is right, you've of seen course, that, of and course. then it's like I got to do that. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> um, so up from there till now, what have you jujitsu wise? What has your journey been like? Yeah, so I probably it's been about uh, ten years since I've been training pretty regularly, and I would say even today I still probably train every day. But uh, my first five years, I was one of those guys that would never miss a class training every day. And it was, um, you know, I, I was uh, at the sheriff's office. I, I worked in patrol and I worked on our SWAT team. And then when I got to our training unit, you know, defensive tactics, we were trying to find, hey, what's some good defensive tactics for cops? And that kind of re, I guess, re-inspired me to look back at my martial arts training. And that's what really got me back into Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And so it's been 10 years and I've been working through and I'm a, you know, I'm a brown belt now and instructor. I train with Hoist several times a year and Henner and Heat On and, you know, I've competed in tournaments and, and that sort of thing. What part of Jiu Jitsu do you uh, look at and, and try to teach that to people who are uh, on the street doing police work, but not not actually trying to do jujitsu and, and, and compete or just even train several times a week. Right. I think there's several things. I mean, one thing, and, and those of us who, who train jujitsu know this as a very deep level, but jujitsu, um, one powerful component of jujitsu is it teaches you to remain confident and not freak out in stressful situations. Well, guess what? Police officers, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, could there be anything to, to me better for police officers than an art that teaches you to not freak out, to, to stay confident, to understand that you might find yourself in bad situations, but it's okay. You know, you can be in those uncharted, unknown territories and you can come out and thrive. And so that's number one. But there's also another element that I think makes jujitsu so amazing for law enforcement is that jujitsu, unlike my first art, which was a striking art, you know, you're, you're hitting, you're contacting, it can be very violent. And not that there's not a time for that, but jujitsu can help you control, defeat uh, an opponent without hurting them. You know, and if that's not a win-win for law enforcement, I don't know what is. So those are the two, to me, the main things that make jujitsu so amazing for, I would say, not even just law enforcement, but for all first responders um, or, or for anyone who just wants to defend themselves. Your, your ability to remain confident in, in very bad situations, in unknown situations, and your ability to defeat someone else without necessarily causing more damage than you might have intended. Yeah. I, as a firefighter, I've been on... Uh, more than a handful of, of calls where it comes out, it's a medical thing and you get there yep. and the person is high on, on something or just uh, having a hard time controlling themselves and they start hitting people and, you know, wrap them up, take them down. And, and fortunately, every time I've done that, uh, the families that are there, uh, aren't on the side of the other person or on, on their, they're, they're on my side. They, they realize, okay, this person's out of control. They, and, uh, and yeah, it's largely not even a fight. It's just uh, let's wait until we get some more help and, and get you calmed down. And nobody gets hurt, not me and not the other person. And I've yep. uh, been pretty fortunate with that so far. But um, it is. It's it's largely like if you ask them what just happened, they wouldn't say I just got in a fight. Right. They would say, yeah, I got a little out of control. And and this, this guy was just kind of, you know, controlling me after that, which was annoying and pissed me off. But. It, it'd be hard to say that they just got into a fight because no damage was done and right. to me or them. And, and that's, I, that's been <laughs> the way mine have gone so far. But uh, as a firefighter, I'm not exposed to that very often. But uh, as a police officer, you're constantly dealing with people who are uh, upset with you or fighting somebody else yep. or are mad when you get there and mad at you for showing up and all kinds of things. Um can you well, think and of not only a, that? Yeah, you made me. You made me think of that too. And and I think uh, firefighter, EMS personnel. I think, um, and obviously you're you're a very trained person. But I think th- those guys, you guys need it just as much. Sometimes even if not more. Maybe you don't have the frequency of it. But a lot of times when I go on the calls where they're under the influence of a drug or alcohol or something like that, you guys are there helping to control and maybe give medicine or, or, you know, help this person. And the bad thing about those guys is their, their tolerance for pain is very high. So if you're trying to control them with a strike or something that causes pain, it just doesn't work. You know, and not, not only do you not want to do that, it's not even effective. So yeah. you, you guys just to control them, you, you're trying to save this person's life and they're fighting you with superhuman strength because they're under the influence of some type of drug. I think that's another, you know, uh, realm that jujitsu just it performs so well. Yeah, you know? I, I, I don't want to get into too detailed the stories, but I remember I was, I was uh, some guy uh, hit a paramedic and I had already just kind of like, this is not going to go well. And yeah. the, the paradem- paramedic didn't really see that in the person's eyes. And so I ended up behind the person and uh, he hit her and I just latched onto him and, and we sat down on the couch and, and I kind of had his back and, and we rolled around a little bit and 
I remember thinking, I can, this guy's breaking my grips, like a <laughs> black belt level grip, like he's Real. just flying through my grips because he's so amped up and so strong with what yep. he's, he wasn't, you know, huge or anything, but just the, the amount of force and energy he was delivering, like, man, I, I can't let him get control of me because he's going to do Absolutely. a ton of damage real fast but <laughs> and usually yep. with firefighters we're, i mean we're coming in in numbers uh we're not by ourselves either but we don't have the tools sure. that that right. that uh, police officers have to to deal with that so uh yep. usually it's just if they're unskilled they end up just kind of everybody dog piles the person <laughs> yeah <laughs> which yep. is not the best but it could be worse i guess yep for sure do you remember a time maybe early on in your career or early on in your like learning jiu-jitsu when you're like uh, like this is this is really helpful today. Uh, that it, that knowing these skills and, and having the attributes of being calm or knowing how to control somebody, it really paid off big. Yeah, I mean, you're saying, do I? Can I relate a time? With yeah, my can you maybe like share yeah. a little bit of an example or a story? I mean, so I I got back into jiu-jitsu when I was in the training division, but not I I didn't just do training. I would go back out and work patrol. Um, and I remember the first time I was on patrol pre jujitsu, you know, if I would go to a call where there might be a fight or I got that kind of that, that hair on the back of your neck feeling, I remember thinking, okay, what tool do I have to use? I I just remember thinking just being more kind of amped up. Whereas after jujitsu and training and the confidence I developed, you know, I would go to calls and, you know, the ego wouldn't be there as much if people would maybe call me names or want to fight. Um, I, I wouldn't look to prove myself and say, Hey, this is, this is, I'm the one in authority here. If, if you want to, if you want to challenge me, I have tools and backup. I just remember coming out with a whole, whole new mindset almost. And it's like, Hey, I, I know you're upset. I know you're upset with the uniform, but I want to, I want to help get through this. And I mean, do I have a specific example I, without getting into detail? I know of a couple where the guy's, you know, suicidal subject and I talk to him and they realize, hey, this guy's really just trying to help me. And I attribute a lot of that, some of it to maturity and time on the job, but a lot of that to the mindset shift that I then perspective shift that I had with jujitsu. So, um, you know, and, and the good thing about that is some of those situations could have gone really south, could have been, you know, much more amped up than they should have been. And because of that, I feel like a lot of successful occlusions, it's hard to quantify. I don't know. I just know that um, after jujitsu and after training, I felt much more calm, confident. I felt, uh, you know, the ability to look at situations clear. And I haven't, the me using force, me having to use control has dropped down substantially from, you know, pre-jujitsu to after jujitsu. And it's not, I've never been one of those who's always been in a whole lot of you know, force cases anyway. But I mean, it's like now that I've been trained in jujitsu, I almost never have to use force. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. That's interesting. You think that uh, they, they kind of see it in you that you're confident or you just you think that the, it's on your side where uh, you don't feel the need to, to start it, start it first. I, I mean, if, yeah, if you're going to get good... in a fight and you start after the other person starts, you're behind a lot already. That's true. So there yeah, is some incentive sure. to saying, okay, this is clearly going to be a fight. I might as well go ahead and tackle this guy and, and get this thing underway. But being confident, you could say, you know what, maybe it's not going to be a fight. Maybe we can, you can push that back a little bit more. Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think there's a couple things with that. I can speak to – I never know for sure what the other person's perspective is. I definitely know from my perspective that I feel like I'm putting out the the – you know, I guess the vibe of, look, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to, but I will, um, if I absolutely need to, but I I just feel like, you know, uh, 
when you know jujitsu and you're ready to, you, you have that confidence to avoid it at all costs. But you're absolutely right about having to flip the switch. If you know, look, you know, we've tried to talk, we've tried everything we can. Sometimes you have to go in and act because if you hesitate, that can make it worse. Um, I feel like there is an element of that too. Um, but I just feel like you have the ability to see that clearer when you know jujitsu anyway, you know? Yeah. How did, uh, how did you get into firearms training? Yeah. So, well, obviously when I started in, in law enforcement in, uh, the year 2000, uh, that was really, we go through the academy and we go through a robust training program. And I'm pretty fortunate at the Johnson County Sheriff's Office. It's, it's a very, um, they have a very good firearms training program, just very skilled instructors and they have for decades. So I went through a program there and I, I just, you know, right away developed kind of a liking to it, was on our shooting team, was on our SWAT team for a few years. Um, and so I just, just really liked it and developed it. And then when I went to, to training division, I started going to the instructor schools and it just kind of took off from there. And that was really about the same time that I was getting back into jujitsu. So I, I paralleled really for the last nine, 10 years, I've been training. If I'm not on the mat, I'm on the range, you know, it's one or the other. <laughs> so I've gotten back into it that way. And I would say about two to three years after, um, getting to our training division, I, I thought, man, these are a lot of the skills that I'm learning and doing and even teaching to cops. There's a lot of things that civilians, not just police officers, but just your general civilian can take out of this. So that's when I, it, it basically started as a concealed carry class. You know, Kansas became a concealed st- carry state about, oh, 11, 12 years ago. And so I started doing that. It just started as uh, about eight to 10 people in a concealed carry class. And it, it grew into a, my company now, Top Firearms Instruction, that's uh, you know, six years later, I've taught thousands of students across the Midwest and I continue to teach to this day. So it was just something that I kind of did as a, as a, Hey, I'll do this as a, as a side job. And it's really become another passion of mine. Do this will be kind of an odd question. Do most, uh, students pass the concealed carry class? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. The, the concealed carry class, it's an, it's an eight hour class and it goes over Kansas law use of force, um, you know, basic mechanics of firearms, firearms safety, and, and then there's a qualification. And it's, it's 25 rounds, and it's, there's no time limit. There's, the distances are, you know, 3 yards, 7 yards, and 10 yards. It's a very – and you can use any handgun. So you could use a, a no-recoil 22. You know, you can use any gun you want. And I have that discussion with my students. I say the, the actual qualification or the difficulty level of the Kansas concealed carry class is very low. But throughout the entire class, I make sure it's uh, reinforced that, you know, if you're going to carry a Glock, a 9mm or something else, you need to qualify and train um, repeatedly with that gun because if you don't, then you're more of a danger to yourself or others than you are protecting. And, and I think that that um, – that message gets across to my students because nearly 60% of my students that come through, you know, the concealed carry class, they either send me messages later saying, Hey, check this out. I was at the range or they come back to, I do additional classes, you know, private lessons, ongoing training. So I feel like most of them get that message and understand that. And, and I really lay that out in the class that one class is not enough. Can you imagine um, doing one jujitsu class and <laughs> then saying, okay, yep, I did my class. Now I'm ready to, to take on in, any and all attackers, you know? Yeah. So I try to hammer that home to my students, but yeah, the, the class itself is not a difficult class and people come through, they're stressed out. There's a, there's a, you know, a 25 question test. It's, it's very simple and I, I go over it, um, you know, very thoroughly and they do that. So I've had people not pass on their first attempt and then I continue to help them and get them through. 
Um, but then we just have that conversation of, look, you need to you need to continue to train, and this is just a starting point, and get as proficient as you can because how how good and how well prepared and how trained are you going to be in that moment that you might need to save your life? And I, I think most of my students that are willing to give up their time and money to come train with me understand that and, um, and and do what they need to do. And if they don't, if they know that they're not willing to, then they just don't carry a lot of them. Yeah. I, I'm so. interested in, in comparing the two skills. Uh, with jujitsu, it's, it's me against your jujitsu. So like uh, there's a constant arms race. Um, with carrying, it's a little different. Um, yes. And, and there's not as many, uh, uh, you know, barambolos or spider guards. Like, like it's, it seems to be fairly uh, like clean cut as far as if I can learn these set of techniques, I'm, I'll be, that's what I need. Um, but if I trained, you know, if I went to train jujitsu every three months and brushed up on it, I think it would be, uh, that's a bad recipe for uh, my jujitsu. So we go three, four times a week. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, what's the, I guess, what's yeah, the minimum so, amount to, to train with that for most students to, to be proficient? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. It's like there's parallels between jiu-jitsu and firearms, and then there's obviously things that are unique to each discipline. So what I try to do is pull the parallels. Like, for example, let's say you can't get to the, say you get to the range once a month. Well, you're not going to train jiu-jitsu once a month. Like you said, that, that won't be as effective. But uh, what I teach a lot of my students is the value of dry fire, where you take your gun, your concealed carry gun, and you do 10 minutes three or four times a week where you get to a safe area, you make sure you're, you have no live ammunition around, and you practice your draws. Maybe you practice it from your concealed holster. You practice some of your movement. You practice your reloads. And so you give up 10 or 15 minutes you know, at night, maybe before a workout or what have you, and you do that consistently over time. Well, those 10 draws or those 15 draws, you know, three couple, three times a week, end up into hundreds of draws over a month, end up, you know, into thousands of draws over the year. And then that's where I see the parallels between drilling and practicing techniques in jujitsu and firearms, you see. So it, there, there are definitely subtle differences um, that are unique to each discipline. But what I try to do is know and understand those differences. And then I look at the similarities and I try to apply them together. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, so. It's just, it, 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 there is, the, the differences are, are interesting to look at. Uh, I remember talking with one police officer, and sometimes uh, your brain will say, do this, and then it will say, stop doing that, but your body doesn't get the message. And the example that they were giving me was, if you've ever, and I never have, fortunately, but I could see this happening, uh, you know, you leave your keys in the car, and your car's locked, and you're closing the door, and you see the yeah, keys yep. laying there, and you go ahead and finish closing the door because your, <laughs> your body's already in motion. And yep. <laughs> I think that, like, I don't know, like with, with, but you're holding a gun. So you're holding a gun and you're trying to decide whether or not to, to fire or not. And it's just so quick as far as uh, what, what officers are, are, you know, being oh, exactly. put, the situations they're in. And, well, and not only is it it's quick, but it's also rapidly evolving in the sense that in one moment, the correct thing to do might be to shoot. And then, like you said, maybe a gun is dropped or someone slips and falls or maybe someone's running away, whatever it is. And that brief moment in time of extreme stress, the whole situation changes on, on what's justified or appropriate. Um, so you're absolutely right. And so I think if I'm going to go back to paralleling jujitsu and firearms is it's important in, in your both disciplines, firearms and jujitsu and any hand to hand self-defense is to train to a level that you can do it without thinking about it. You know, sometimes I've heard to it referred to as unconscious competence. 
Um, and that's that's the level that you need to me in both um, you know in both arts or both disciplines. Um, and you know you're a higher level at me in, in jujitsu, and I was in, in awe of black belts. It's almost like I feel like they're eating a sandwich or, or text, sending a text message while they're destroying you on the mat, you know? And it's like, I think that's the level that you're trying to, that's a level you're trying to achieve in both arts is being able to do it without thinking about it so that your mind can focus on, you know, the rapidly evolving situation that, that's happening in front of you. Yeah. I'm also in awe of black belts. <laughs> it doesn't change when you get there. Um, so uh, tell me like a, I always want to get a little bit of advice or a little bit of uh, knowledge when somebody has a, a job that's interesting. If, if people ask me about firefighting, I'm, I'm more than happy to kind of share that with them what that's about and how to do that. Um, a police officer, you know, if, if you're talking to maybe a fellow uh, grappler and, the, and they are interested in becoming a police officer, what would you tell them yep. these days? Yeah, no, that's good. Well, m- most agencies have ride-along programs, so find find one to go on a ride along with and it doesn't have to be a big city you can you can ride along with any agency a few times and just get a general feel with being in the car going to calls with them and stuff like that um you know guys that have military experience they that certainly is something that you can use as as an advantage because a lot of you know agencies are paramilitary um you know college and stuff like that there's all all that sort of thing physical shape training jujitsu i i really think that law enforcement i've said this to others before law enforcement is still in the infancy of realizing how important jujitsu and how how valuable jujitsu could be into law enforcement so just the fact that you train jujitsu i think is is going to give something some credential to you applying to a law enforcement agency they might they might look at you so those are kind of the preliminary steps i would take um, getting to know the agency, researching it, knowing that there's a lot of options. I mean, there are there are police agencies, um, city police, uh, county police, state police, federal. I mean, so there's there is a wide um, selection of possibilities. There's working in jails, working on patrol, you know, all sorts of divisions. So there's a lot of preliminary preliminary research that can be done, and talking to um, you know agencies, and a lot of them have recruiting divisions now that that would love to let you know about their agency. Yeah. And Tyson, you're a lieutenant. Tell me a little bit about your career and how uh, you started as a as a police officer on the street and then you moved from there to a is it a detective or, or Yeah, how does no, that work? actually it was a little most city agencies start as a police officer on the street. I started as a deputy sheriff and what that meant was I actually started as um, a deputy in the jail. So for my first five years in law enforcement, I worked in we have two different jails in Johnson County. I worked in both of those jails. Um then, after about five years, I got onto our SWAT team and our patrol division and then worked about five years um, on patrol, SWAT team. I was on our accident investigation unit. Um, and then right about the nine, ten-year mark, that's when I went to training, and that was probably 2009. And so in the training division was awesome. I mean, I, we pretty much did defensive tactics, ground fighting, shooting, firearms instruction. I got to go to instructor schools all over the country that I would have gone for free. I wouldn't tell the sheriff that, but I would have gone for free to do what I was doing. Um, but ultimately I decided to test for promotion. So I tested for Sergeant, went back to patrol for a few years as a patrol Sergeant, continued to train jujitsu pretty much every day, teach firearms, um, and stuff like that. And then, like I said, that's taken me up to about a year and a half ago when I promoted once again to Lieutenant. And now I'm back to the jail, kind of back to my roots. I hadn't been back to the jail for 12, 15 years or so. Um, and so now I'm back as the shift commander during the evening shift and, uh, and just going from there. So I do a lot of being that I work evenings. I do a lot of my training during the day, during the weekend and and stuff like that. 
Tyson, I'm going to ask you kind of a different question that I've been wanting to ask people. Uh, I just haven't found the right person. I think that you'll be in a nursing uh, one to answer this. Uh, take yourself back uh, in time, I guess, you know, whatever age you were when you were applying. And let's say you have uh, jujitsu experience. You've been training for five years or so. And you're on the interview panel to get the job. And the question comes up uh, about jujitsu, or for some reason you bring up jujitsu, and, and, and describe how training jujitsu will help you do this job. And, and for you, it was, uh, you know, a deputy sheriff in a, in a, uh, in, in a detention facility or jail. Um, but, but how, so if that comes up in an interview, I'd like, I just like, everybody is training, but if occasionally some of us get to mention it in an interview and, uh, if we could nail that and really describe and not get maybe too deep into the, uh, into the maths on it and make it confusing. But if you could just describe it to maybe like the interview panel that hired you as what has jujitsu done for you? Why, why is that an important part of your life? Yeah, that's a, I haven't thought of that question in this, in this, like the way you framed it, but I have an immediate answer and I got to admit, I stole it basically from <laughs> Ben <or> Gracie. <laughs> okay, cool. But when I, when I talk to people, a lot about jujitsu and, and you know talking about jujitsu it's the same for you it's just like me it's just you get excited doing it and I, one of the best technologies that that i talk about with people and why it's so effective is you know you hear a lot of people say sometimes you just got to fight fire with fire sometimes you got to fight fire with fire and and i look at because of jujitsu i've learned to fight the fire which that's the analogy for all the challenges you face on the job with water you see and you nice. you being a fire guy you're like hey this is kind of cheesy but the reality is I love that connect that when I teach kids, you know, when I teach uh, adult students and when I, when I think about the challenges I face myself, you can go in and, and charge and fight fire with fire, but it's so much more effective to fight fire with water. So that's the analogy I use um, when I talk about what jujitsu can do for people. That is awesome. And I think that that's a, in an interview, that's a, uh, that's a. You don't have to explain what an armbar is. You don't have to explain that. You know, like yeah. uh, yeah. all these, you know, who you've met and who you've trained with. It basically, yeah. uh, people fight fire with fire, and they, you know, it's, it's taking a challenge head on. And with jujitsu, I'm fighting fire with water. I, I have different problem solving tools, uh, you know, and for that job particularly, physically, that uh, that yep. you can do. But if you could be at a, at a job, you know for some sort of business and they could say, oh, what do you do for hobbies? You can say jujitsu and uh, tell me about that. Well, uh, you know, I'm constantly having to solve problems that are presented to me on the mats and, and you could think yep. of it like fighting fire with fire, but I try to fight fire with water. And I think that's a, that's a neat way to say that to anybody. Yep. I agree. I that's, love it. That's cool. So tell me about the book, fundamental handgun mastery and how that came, uh, sure. to be. So, and um, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, actually, because they asked me, "What you wrote a book? What what, what was the deal with that?" So I, I work evening for the probably the last year and a half, two years as a lieutenant. I've been working the evening shift. Well, I get up pretty early in the morning. You know, I'll, I'll um, get out to the academy, do some private lessons, teach, and then I'll maybe hit a workout or I'll go do some chores and stuff like that. And I work in the evenings, um, and in the evenings I'm off. I'm training, but I just I stay so busy between teaching firearms doing private lessons, group classes and stuff like that, that by the time I would get home, you know, that last hour, hour and a half before bed, I was just so amped up, you know, it was hard to just, after that whole day of training, I would have thought I'd be tired, but no, I was just, just more amped up. 
And so I was like, man, what am I going to do, you know, with all this extra energy? So I would, you know, I had the TV on in the background and stuff like that, but I just get on the computer and, and I would type some of the, maybe the conversations I've had with students or maybe some of the lessons learned throughout the day, whether I was at a competition or a range or whatever. And it just started, you know, you know, one chapter became two chapters, started to become more formalized. I started to look at it. And I was like, man, this is like 20,000 words I've got together now. And it's just more and more. And I was like, oh, I want to write about, you know, this fundamental or, or or a mindset or awareness because we had a good conversation with a student today about that and it just came together and I was like man this is this is some these are what I'm writing down at night my thoughts and stuff are things that I'm teaching my students and training and now I can put this together formalize it format it and put it together and have kind of a resource not only for myself but for my students so it it, it took me about a year and a half two years of just writing at night and then when I decided to put it into a book I, I you know it maybe only took 3 weeks to a month to just separate it into chapters and kind of edit it and, and put it out there. And safety is a big uh, thing in your book. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, uh, firearm safety. And, and uh, you can't do all that in, in a you know, part of an interview, but uh, tell us a little bit about yeah, firearm no, safety. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. That's one thing. You know, I tell that to my students almost every, well, no, not almost, every firearms class, whether it's a private lesson or a group class, I say, you know, if you were to leave this class and the only thing, the, num- the only thing you learned was a new or um, refreshed perspective of firearm safety, then today was a win. You know, I talked to him briefly about statistics, but I just, you know, talked to him about the four most important rules of firearm safety. I talk about the tragedies that have happened. I personally know of some, and, and I recount stories of, you know, people who have lost their kids, lost significant others. And, I, I, and it gets to be a somber moment, but I think it drives home the respect for firearm safety. And then a lot of people do, you know, they do a, a firearm safety brief. Hey, make sure you're pointing the muzzle in a safe direction. Keep your finger off the trigger. And then that's kind of it. They talk about it and they move on. Well, safety for me is... It's the entire time throughout the training session, and I think students connect with that and respond to that. And um, you know, I teach not only to adults firearm safety, but I teach kids classes firearm safety. I'm talking at three or four years old. I'm not teaching them to shoot a gun, but I'm teaching them safety rules um, to the extent of what if they ever see a gun? What is the safe order of operation? So, um, firearm safety. The first two chapters of my book are entirely devoted to firearm safety, and that to me, that's the most important thing. Everything after that is the icing on the cake. So that's an interesting idea about, you know, somebody has uh, fairly young kids and, and we're not wanting yep. to show them how to shoot the guns or or, right. or how to deal with them. But um, I, I can see one strategy is just to hide them or lock them up and keep them away yes. or tell them uh, what's what's a good strategy for, for dealing so, with that. I'm so glad you asked that. And I've had this conversation with countless parents and I'm telling you they connect with this analogy. I I. I um, whether it's a group class or I'm talking one-on-one because that is such a common parent question to me is, hey, uh, what age should I teach them? I know they're not ready to shoot, but what should I teach them? What age? Is it better just to hide guns from them? So here's what I do. I say, listen, imagine, you know, and I have a, I have a son, Tyson Jr. I said, imagine I tell my eight-year-old son, you know, we're in a room and we have a t- there's a table in the middle of the room and I put a Mountain Dew can in the middle of the room and I say, Tyson, don't ever drink from this magical drink of mystery. You got it? <laughs> and then I leave. What is the very next thing he's going to do? You know, by human nature, we're yeah. just so curious, you know, and kids especially take that times times 100. They're more curious than adults. I mean, kids are just so curious about the world. Well, as soon as I leave, he's going to chug that thing. If he's like most kids, I know I would have. But if I change that and I say, look, Tyson, this is a Mountain Dew. It's a pop or a soda. It's, it's sweet. It tastes pretty good. But you know, it's not the most healthy thing in the world. But I'll tell you what. I want you to try it. 
Um, you know, uh, if you eat, eat a healthy dinner, or if you do your chores or we work together on your homework, you have a half a can with dinner and we'll go from there. He's much more like, I mean, I'm talking exponentially more likely to not go behind my back, to respect that I'm allowing him to try it. And, um, you know, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, that is a great way of teaching and, and helping someone learn and satisfy their curiosity. And it's not an exact analogy, but it's very similar to handguns. If my whole thing is, oh, just hide guns, I don't want them to be anywhere near guns, at some point in their life, they're probably going to be exposed to someone else using guns or seeing a gun themselves. And if the only strategy was, I don't know anything about them, what do I do? They're so much less prepared than if they understand what a gun is, how to respect it, and what the order of operation is if you ever see it. And once I explain that to parents, the vast majority of them are like, that makes sense. I mean, there's there's 300 plus million guns in America. To hide them from guns is virtually impossible. So who do you want to, to teach them about guns? A qualified professional or you know, their buddy when they're a teenager? So I think it's important to do it early, and I think it's important to, to let them know and understand it and satisfy that curiosity. So that's one thing that I've been so lucky to, to – the previous sheriff that I worked for was really big on teaching uh, firearm safety to kids. He saw me do a class, and we started doing that for the sheriff's office, and uh, that program expanded quite a bit, and I'm pretty proud of that one. So, Yeah, that's awesome, and uh, it's, it's definitely something that if, if you – uh, have kids that are going to be around guns, and, and depending on you know, this is Kansas. You and I both like that's that's the way it is. I mean, yep. some houses don't, but a lot of houses have have firearms in them. And if yep. you don't, their friends might, and and uh, just have some knowledge. And I think yep. for especially young boys, it's it's hard to. Uh, they want to be cool, you know. They, they, mm-hmm. It's hard for them to 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 be around something like that. And and also, uh, if they don't know how to be safe, to tell their friend to stop doing this or this not like to have that little bit of authority and, or experience, like okay, that's we're not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> because you know, they still want to be cool because they were dumb kids, you know. <laughs> What's funny is I my my son, he's a very high energy. He does jujitsu with me. He goes. He actually does shooting competitions with me, and you know he's a wrestler and he's just so high energy and he's just a knucklehead, which <laughs> you know a lot of kids are. But one of my proudest moments as a dad was when he's playing toy guns with uh, one of his buddies in the neighborhood, and I, I looked over at him and he's like, hey. Get your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. I was so I was so proud of him. You know, he was yeah. the expert right there in that moment. Like I said, my kid, he's a he's a great kid, high energy, but he can be a knucklehead. But when he uh, when I when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and he could. I so, mean, that, with with that level of authority, like could be a kid telling that to a, a thirty or forty year old adult. Uh, oh, like, okay, yeah. you're right. I, had, I sorry, I had my finger on the trigger. You're like, that's a pretty big no no. But well, uh, anybody calls well, you me, out on that, it's not. I'd safe. like to share. I'd like to share one of my secrets with you. When I teach a kid's firearms class, I always, and I mean always, basically demand that the parents stay right there and watch the class. And there's two reasons. One, I don't want any controversy of what exactly was taught later. I want them to be there the whole time. But two, I'm not just teaching the kid. (laughs) Yeah. That safety class is for the adult just as much. Because let's be real. If a three or four-year-old gets access to a gun, it wasn't their fault. You know, it was the parents' fault. So when I teach these kids' classes, it's kind of like a parent instructional class for in disguise. You know, it kind of saves them the ego. It's like, oh, yeah, this is for my kids. But the reality is I'm teaching the parent just as much. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So as long as we don't share that with anyone except all the all the people that listen to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's different than 
a lot of times, you know, just so you come in, you drop your kids off for the hour and yep. it's kind of like, uh, you know, you, you, you go run your errands or whatever it is that you're doing, but yep. uh, no, I want you here to watch. And, uh, and it, it's funny to watch some parents, uh, try that with jujitsu. It doesn't work. They'll come in, their kids will do jujitsu for two months and the parents are watching and learning these moves and then they're yep. ready for the adult class. Uh, yep. You didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah. You just watched but a bunch of kids' classes. It doesn't really work like do that. Do you think though? Do you? I, I feel like some parents really want to do jujitsu. Yeah. But they almost use their kid as kind of like the little trial to kind of see what's up. It's like, yeah, this is for them. But really, in deep inside, they really want to get in the mat. And I agree with you 100. They just need to get out there and enjoy the experience. But I feel like there's a select group of parents that they put their kids in just to kind of see it. But really, they want to do it themselves yeah. too. They're fighting those nerves, and I used yep. to. I haven't done it for a while, but when I was uh, around them more, I would say, "Come on, you got to feel this." As you know, and drag a, occasionally drag a parent onto the mat and get them to just you know feel you know hold me yep. in side control or you know try this takedown on me or whatever, and just yep. that like a little bit of dipping your foot in the pool and seeing if if you if you like it, and yep, versus I just it. watching it because it it's hard to just watch it for an hour and not get some interest in it. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, you also talked about training with the the Gracies or Hoist Gracie. What's that like? Oh man, I it's it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, just in a word, it's awesome. I've I've learned so much, not just you know of jujitsu, kind of learning it from from the source and stuff like that, but just the teaching methodology and just the uh, the genuinely good people that they are. They really, you know, I'm a teacher. You know, I, I like teaching, and I feel like teachers that really really genuinely want their students to succeed are the best. And I, I get that feeling from, you know, Henner, Hedon, and, and Hoist when I train with them. And, um, yeah, I, I just I can't say enough good things about it. I get to train with Hoist probably three or four times a year and Henner and Hedon maybe one or two times a year, and I always love it. It's always a, a good time. I learn, I learn, you know, not just jujitsu, but just teaching and just how to be a good person. I mean, they're just genuinely good people. Could you think of a way that they taught something or – Maybe uh, a particular style that has affected the way you teach, uh, either yeah, sure. jiu-jitsu or, or firearms? For, okay, so Hanner, who I think is one of the best teachers in the world, um, with him, it's the enthusiasm. When you see someone so enthusiastic and so hyped about something, you can't help but to give it some attention, right? To be like, man, if this guy is this hyped up about it, there's got to be – let me at least see what it's about. So Henner's enthusiasm connects well with me. So that's one. With Hoist, um, you know the anal- <laughs> It's so funny with him. You're, you're dealing. You're, you're in the room with a a world-renowned, you know, UFC legend, and he's joking around with you. There, I don't sense any arrogance with him. He he's over in the corner on the break talking to the janitor or giving crap to somebody over here or, or just joking around. And he just he makes you feel like you're just you know one of the guys at, at you know that you're just hanging out with. So just to see that interaction is really cool. Um, one thing, you know, that Hoist did recently in a seminar, he was doing a, a seminar for some guys that were, they were mainly Kempo guys. And so they weren't really grapplers. So he's teaching them some basic jujitsu and they were going hard. I mean, these guys were, these guys were extending arm bars and these were some big, strong guys. And I'm like, man, I was getting a little nervous. And so Hoist goes, time out, time out, time out, guys. And he starts kind of doing an analogy. He's like, imagine I'm doing this and I'm ripping this arm and then I do this. What is my partner thinking? He's thinking, okay, okay, I'm about to rip your arm, and then he's doing this. And so he didn't call anybody in particular out, but he just kind of did like a, a, a comical yet 
serious uh, demonstration of what could go wrong in, in a kind of a laid back way. And the whole tone of the class changed. So I got to watch somebody not only masterful at jujitsu, but somebody control a classroom and help avoid injury and help control a pace. And I was like, man, that's cool. I'm going to steal that, you know, and that's just one one analogy. But just watching those guys control a class, you know, no two classes are exactly the same. And to watch uh, those interactions to me have been so valuable. And, you know, to some extent, I try to take those lessons to any class that I teach and recycle. them. Yeah, it's that's a, an interesting skill. And for a coach or an instructor to be able to uh, control a class and to alter yep. the the culture of that class, uh, that's very important. Yep. Yeah. Versus- I mean, because I've seen newer instructors, you know, who are very knowledgeable and very talented, but the whole class is different because you know, no. Sometimes no two attitude of a class is the same, and they one class went great, but the very next week the class didn't go near as well. And it's no fault of the instructor. They taught the same way, but they didn't control the class in, in the same way, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it may not be the fault of the instructor, but it might be what was presented to the instructor and they didn't deal with it the way that right. somebody else exactly. could have, I guess. Exactly. That's why I, teaching kids for me is, is tough because they always present yes. different things at you. Oh my. Like, Man, I'd rather teach adults. <laughs> well, questions you don't expect, comments yeah. <laughs> that adults maybe wouldn't make and reserve and you got to go right in and just roll with it and you know, that's that's another thing I'll give, you know, Henner and Hedon credit for is just learning how to interact with kids and almost becoming a kid again yourself out on the mat has been a been a kind of a fun fun deal with jujitsu and learning that I, I i actually enjoy the kids classes but i know exactly what you mean i've been in some i've gotten questions in kid classes and stuff like that where i was like wow didn't expect that not sure how i'm gonna <laughs> not sure i'm gonna handle this so. yeah so it sounds like you're a guy who's always training always wanting to get better uh what training events are you looking forward to what training events yeah. well um, I always look, I'm a, you know, I'm a certified instructor for the Gracie university. So I always go there to Torrance in January. So I always, I always look forward to January, which for me is about the only good thing in winter. Um, in <laughs> August, I'm going to Tulsa to train for a week with Hoist. He's doing his law enforcement, um, five, five day law enforcement instructor class. So I'll do that. And man, that's coming up in like eight weeks. Um, so I'm looking forward to those two. I haven't competed in a tournament in a couple of years and I'm thinking about, uh, getting back, doing some submission onlys, um, you know, with the teaching and stuff I, that has, that's been on the back burner, but I'm thinking about doing that. So those are from the jujitsu side. I'm looking forward to that. And then from the firearm side, I've been competing in a lot of steel challenges and I have some concealed carry class and assistant instructor classes coming up. So I've pretty much got something either every weekend or every other weekend, you know, all the way up till for the next six months. So shooting or jujitsu. Tyson, what's a steel challenge? Steel challenge is a type of shooting competition. That's um, basically five steel targets. There's eight stages and you, you run it for time and your best four times um, out of the five runs count and you score it. And then, you there's it's pretty much ranked every time you go it goes into the computer and it ranks where you're at nationally as far as how well you shoot against other shooters and skill levels and skill sets and i mean you have regional competitions all the way up to um, national uh championships so yeah it's definitely you could just look up steel challenge and you'll see the steel challenge association and it's uh, a very fun shooting competition and what's cool about it is you can shoot a 22. I mean, my son shoots it with me. He's uh, 11 years old, and he shoots a, a, a 22 rifle. And you can shoot you know, nine millimeter open guns and all sorts of things. So it's it's definitely a cool competition for basically any skill level. Cool. 
That's interesting. Yep. I, I've never heard of that, and uh, shows how much I know about the, the well, shooting sports. I say steel challenge. If you're not, yeah, comp- into the uh, you know shooting sports, it wouldn't be something that would be widely known. But yeah, it's, if you're, and like I said, it's any skill level. So if you're just mildly interested, it's definitely something to look up. I'll just warn you, it's kind of addicting. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like jujitsu too. So it's like uh, jujitsu, but it could be. Yeah, instead of buying a gi for 150 bucks, you're buying a, a firearm for well over that. Oh, exactly. And then you're constantly buying ammo. So yeah. I would suggest uh, <laughs> maybe stick with jujitsu. <laughs> That's funny. Um, real quick, uh, I, you talked about competing. Has has going out there and competing changed the way you you view yourself or the way you you think about people that you're having to deal with at work? Has it has, yeah. it, has getting in those in those kind of like uh, safer fights helped you? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I my first tournament um, was as a, uh, I guess it was still a white belt, but it was one of those tournaments where I was I looked it up. It was just a local tournament, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I got to the, I think registration was at eight eight thirty. I got there at six in the morning. There was nobody around, and I waited. And my first match wasn't till three p.m. that day, and I was nervous. I mean, it was I had all the highs and lows. I went through every range of emotion all day, and then I went out. And amazingly, I, I won my first match, I think, by a guard pass. And it was, I was just addicted. But I mean, it was all day long. And I was nervous. I, I don't think I'd been that nervous in any law enforcement activity beforehand. Um, and then I ended up, you know, losing my next couple matches. <laughs> but um, after that, I, I went home that night and I just had that kind of like reverse adrenaline dump. And I thought, man, this is so cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was something like I didn't know if I was going to have the the courage to do it and i knew i was excited about doing it but i was nervous there was several times that day i thought about oh i'm gonna go home i, I don't need to do this i'm not gonna wait i was trying to make every excuse but it was like it was an accomplishment that i was like oh this is cool so i definitely think in terms of that and applying that to law enforcement and and, and being courageous and having to deal with situations you might not want to deal with it certainly helped with that so yeah for sure that's cool how could somebody uh connect with you or or train with you Great. Oh, thank you. Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Tyson Kilby. My Top Firearms Instruction is my Facebook page that has a lot of my training events. I also have a website, Top Firearms Instruction, um, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. So you can pretty much any social media. And I love connecting with people and just talking about training and, and that sort of thing. I saw the the camp that you guys did this weekend. I got jealous. Some of my social media friends were posting it. So I'm I'm really hoping if you guys do that next year to be down there. I mean, that's going to be on my to-do list that I need to schedule out. Cool. In fact, if I wasn't teaching, I'd found out about it a few weeks before, but I had a couple classes scheduled. Otherwise, I would have made it down since I'm not too far. Yeah, we look forward to, to meeting you. Hopefully, it's uh, a good chance we'll do it again next year. It's, it's a bit of awesome. a ways out there, but uh, I don't know why not. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was fun, and, and uh, I think everybody learned a lot and had a good time. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, I'll put some links. How, where's your book? How could people, somebody find your book? Oh, if they want thank to? you. <laughs> yeah, I probably should announce that house as I try to get the, the word out about it. Um, well, it's on Amazon, and I also it's paperback, um, and it's also on ebook for those that like uh, the Kindle ebooks better. It's available there, and then I always have oh anywhere from twenty to five hundred copies on me or in my car everywhere I go on any of my training events. So <laughs> it is out there for people, and I I really. It's so it's so exciting for me to to get um, to look at reviews or to get messages from someone to say hey I read your book I like this or hey I you know that was a cool concept so it's been it's been neat it's only been out for three months but it's been you know I I 
attribute me being able to write this book back to jujitsu. You know, I don't think pre-jujitsu I would have had the confidence to tackle such a task. You know, I've always that, that's something I've always wanted to do is write a book, and I think jujitsu helped me. You know, realize that yeah, it's 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 going to be a lot of work, but it's manageable. So cool, and I'll put uh, links to that. Uh, find the book. Who is the book targeted at? Is it just people who are interested in firearms, or is it uh, officers on the street? So that's that's a great question, and my intention and. From the initial feedback that I'm getting is I think I've accomplished it. My intention is this book has a little bit of something for everyone. And that, that can be very difficult. A lot of people are really skeptical. How is that possible? Well, fundamental handgun mastery, um, I, obviously I talk about safety in the first two chapters and I talk about the fundamentals. But then there's portions of it that can be related to any skill, like the training chapter. The concepts I use for training can be related to any skill. The awareness concepts can be related to someone who doesn't carry a firearm at all. And so uh, the reason I think that I've kind of accomplished this goal of making it kind of more of a a broad appeal is I've gotten – let's put it this way. I've I've got a text from a grandmaster-level skill challenge shooter. And grandmaster level is somebody who's basically your highest of highest, you know, pro level shooter. And he sent me a text saying, hey, I read your book. I really liked it. I pick up a few concepts. Great job. And I was like, man, this is cool. I looked at that text like four times just to make sure I was reading it right. <laughs> but then I got a, um, a call or was it? a Yeah. No. Yeah. I talked to a lady at a class and she's like, hey, I read your book. And she was a complete novice. And she's like, man, I, I, I really liked it. And I felt like I followed most of it. And I picked up stuff that I can use just from a, you know, a self-defense aspect, not, not even, um, related to firearms. And and she's like, I I thought it connected well. So with those two comments, I thought, man, that's great. I got feedback from a grandmaster level shooter and I got feedback from a complete novice. Both of them took something a little different, but, you know, genuinely told me that they, they picked something up from it. I was like, yep, that was what I'm targeting. And I'm, I, you know, did I do that? I don't know yet. It's still, it's only been out for a couple months, few months, three months in, a, in about a week. So I'll see if, uh, I'd like to see if that trend continues. If it does, then I'm very happy. Yeah. It sounds like it's the type of book that you could, you could read it. And, uh, especially if you're not at that extreme mastery level, but a year again, read it again. And, and you'll, yes. you'll learn stuff that you just didn't even realize was in the book the first time around. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, with, uh, fundamental handgun mastery is, are you trying to, uh, you know, break things down and keep them pretty simple, uh, and also kind of bridge the gap between that and the the super advanced. But uh, how much of that is important to keep things pretty simple? Oh, that, that's everything. I mean, that's that is how that is my mindset on teaching. And I wanted to tell you, um, I saw that YouTube video, the BJJ Brick YouTube video, and I, I think it's only been out for a few weeks. But I watched that, the one you did about too much technique can actually be a disadvantage. And man, I probably watched that thing two or three times because I connected with that video um, on such a such a very high and real level. Because you, you know you were talking about oh you know you want to correct and do this and give this information, and by the time you're done, the the student is 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 frustrated because you've just overloaded them with information and they're not getting better and this and that. And and that is exactly what I try to do is. Um, when it comes to any type of mastery, but with fundamental handgun mastery is I try to keep things simple, build on those skills, and then in time, in repetition and focused training, you get better and better. So um, that is the the teaching and training methodology. And like I said, that video, I wanted to, to give you props for sure on that video. I want to show that to some of the guys I teach with and some of the newer instructors because I thought you, you nailed that one spot on. <laughs> well, thanks. And it, uh, it's been a while since I recorded the video, but... Um... 
uh, yeah, if if I had to do everything to the perfect level to where uh, I had the same ability or the same trigger as you know, same as somebody who has been doing this for years and is a master level shooter, I'd never get to pull the trigger and I never get to practice. But you have to bring me up to where I'm safe. You have to bring me up to where I'm going to hit the target. <laughs> it's somewhere on the paper, and and then work from that framework because I'm I'm a beginner versus somebody who is who's very skilled you're going to work at different details and help them do things differently and you got to get to teach to where the student is very very well said Byron I couldn't agree more well uh, Tyson has been a blast talking with you thanks so much for dropping on here with me thank you so much I really appreciate it I love the podcast and you know thank you very much I want to thank Tyson Kilby for hopping on here with me. If you're interested in his book, there'll be a link to the show notes, or you can just go to Amazon and, and type in Fundamental Handgun Mastery. It pops right up. Uh, it's not an affiliate link, so it doesn't really matter to us. Just happy to have him on here talking about Jiu-Jitsu and talking about uh, the Handgun Mastery, which I really don't know much about. Uh, I know, I guess I know enough about to conversate about it. <laughs> kind of like Joe was talking about like uh, basic ideas, but when he started talking about you know competing and stuff, it was all pretty new to me, and and uh, it's just kind of neat to learn about a new sport that I've never really looked into. Thank you, Tyson, for stopping by and and uh, telling us about you know jujitsu with law enforcement and and you know I always appreciate somebody talking about another sport or physical aspect and bridging that back to jujitsu. Yeah, and uh, you know you're talking about that, Byron. Uh, you know another sport and, and bridging to jujitsu like. You know, uh, this morning I was training and uh, Byron is on the other side of the mat working with his wife who is in law enforcement. And, you know, I saw you guys working, uh, you know, if she gets knocked down, you know, real life stuff. And uh, that was just cool watching you two work that and drill that. And, and uh, you know, if that situation ever comes up and, you know, it goes back to all what we've been talking about, being prepared, training, uh, like uh, Lieutenant Kilby was talking about. Same thing. I just want to give you guys a quick reminder that this podcast grows uh, digitally and analog style. And the easiest way to have it grow analog is to tell your buddies about this. And most people do that with sharing like the link on you know, online or sending an email to somebody. But really, if you're training and you thought this was an interesting topic, maybe you have a, a training partner that is really into to pistols and handguns and, or a law enforcement training partner. Uh, send them to the, hey, check out the BJ Brick Podcast, episode 254. You're going to love it. Uh, a couple of weird guys on here talking, but once they get down to the interview, it gets good. <laughs> hey, Byron, Byron, Byron. When you said a couple of weird guys, you and Joe aren't weird. Well, I thanks, think you guys Gary. are normal. Yeah. One, thanks, one weird guy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let one you weirdo, decide. One weirdo and his two good buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Just telling your friends has been uh, a very effective way that we've We've grown, and I know that a lot of our, our big fans have uh, at least told their entire gyms about us, and uh, it really that really means a lot to us that that you guys are are sharing it. And it, it, you know, podcasts aren't for everybody. This podcast isn't for everybody, but it's something you enjoy. Good chance your friends might like it too, because they could already put up with you. Because <laughs> <laughs> in your group of friends, there's always one weirdo. <laughs> and if you don't know who that is. <laughs> It is probably you. Yep. Let's take a look at the website, cavemantraining.com. Uh, it may sound like it's kind of weird, but man, they got some cool stuff on there. And uh, Caveman Training has an article called Three of the Best BJJ Conditioning Exercises. And uh, not a big secret, it involves a kettlebell. And this seems like the go-to thing to do uh, for jiu-jitsu. And I, uh, 
I've done some kettlebell work. I know Gary has. I don't know, Joe, have you done much with kettlebells? I, I have not. I understand it's wildly popular. It, the, the cool thing is you don't need an entire gym full of stuff, and you could do these workouts at home. Uh, you know, and they're to me with my ability, they're pretty quick because you know you get going, and then like, man, I'm I'm good, I'm tired now. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have both done it. I'm reading the article here, and it lists uh, six things I think that uh, are benefits of. Kettlebell training. Tell yeah. me if you guys have found these to be true. It's uh, cardiovascular endurance, Check. muscular endurance, yep. mental toughness. Sure, why not? Explosiveness, power, and mobility. You you find all those things. You, I don't know you if I'm getting uh, mental toughness from my kettlebell uh, training, but uh, all the other ones for sure. I think uh, jujitsu is such a mentally challenging thing that it might add a little bit of mental toughness, but compared to getting you know, beat up every day on the mats, it doesn't. <laughs> Now, but is, but I, I think it's how you're working out, too, Byron. Uh, you know, we have a good friend, uh, Kim Fox, uh, who, uh, if anybody's into kettlebells, you're definitely going to know who she is. She's a world champion. And uh, she, uh, one of the competitions she does is a long cycle, which is like 10 minutes. Um, and I'm not very good with kettlebells, so I think she's, I think it's like a 10-minute clean and jerk, uh, how many repetitions you can do. And, you know, if we're not, I guarantee you, Byron, if we were trying to do 10 minutes, of clean and jerks uh, or basically anything. I mean, we could do swings, two-handed swings, one-handed swings. I guarantee you there would be some uh, mental toughness to uh, to get through that. Yeah, when you're, compet- when you're competitive, that's what I was thinking. If you've done one long cycle where you got 85 reps and, and then you're trying to get 90 and you're trying to do 95, I, I can definitely see where that would uh, help you develop some mental toughness. Yeah, it's like you you just want to quit. I, I mean, that's I can tell you, I'd be in that situation. Oh, it's it's easy to just throw the kettlebell down, and you know they say it's good, but you know I've still got two minutes on the clock left. I've got to figure out some way in my mind. I, I've got to go to some crazy spot and just uh, to keep myself going, some David Goggins stuff, just to uh, figure out figure out and keep me keep me going for those next two minutes. Yeah, what I like about the kettlebell thing is, uh, as I was talking about before, you don't have to have a bunch of equipment. I mean, it's like if you want to lift weights at the house, have fun. You're going to have an entire room dedicated to weightlifting. You're going to have a bench. You're going to have some some bars. You're going to have a, a decent collection of, of different weights you could add on and, and some free weights. Kettlebell, you can get away with having literally one kettlebell. I mean, sure, a couple different weights would be would be good, but you could do a lot with a single kettlebell and and get some great workouts. So uh, I think this is one thing that is often neglected in jujitsu. And I know I wouldn't have a, a huge motivation to become uh, more physically fit, except for, you know what? Jujitsu gets easier when you're more fit. And <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it just, that's just true. Yeah, technique is great. But if you could add, you know, a certain percentage of, of, of power or if you could be using Instead of using half of your power, be using a quarter of your power to do the move. Man, it gets easy. You can do jiu-jitsu all day long. And instead, if you don't do that sort of training, you're having to use a larger percent of your energy to get the same job done. So don't think of it as like, yeah, you'll start lifting weights and you'll be like the person who muscles things. You'll just get things done with a less percentage of your own energy is is one way to look at that. But isn't that another lesson – that kettlebells help you learn is that uh, efficiency and, and correct technique is 
part of the equation? I mean, because I don't lift, I don't do kettlebells. I imagine it's going to be twice as much work for me to do some of the stuff that you're doing, Byron. Yeah, and and I'm not uh, obviously the most knowledgeable kettlebell lifter, swinger person guy. Uh, that's scary, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it doesn't take you long uh, to figure out the basic techniques behind some things, and and it doesn't take long either to to have like pretty significant increase. So if you write down today I did this and how many reps you did and like scale one to how hard it was, and then do that you know every few days, every couple times a week, um, you'll you'll write down that you were doing more and struggling less for the same workout or you'll just add more to the workout to make it a good workout and you'll be surprised with how plastic how changeable your body is when you uh treat it well and and uh and put it through a good good exercise and that's the same thing with jujitsu but uh, kettlebells are you know the technique isn't quite as complex because nobody is there messing you up as you're trying to do it it's really you versus yourself or you and the weight uh working uh, that you're trying to move well, you know, one thing that really helped me is, you know, years ago before kettlebells were getting popular is when I first was introduced to them. And, and I got lucky. There was a guy who uh, was, from what I heard, he was like, you know, one of the first kettlebell people in Kansas. Um, and uh, what he was doing was uh, he wanted his kids to train jujitsu. So me and my buddy would kind of learn from him he, he would just you know show us every exercise and we'd spend you know an hour on one exercise he'd show me exactly how my feet should be he would just sit there and critique my form and the one thing that you know he really told me is like we don't need a lot of weight and uh you know and byron you know bruce and bruce was the guy that would train with me with this guy and you know he'd want to he'd be like oh this weight's too little you know and this guy's a big 300 pound power lifter and uh he would say no just pick up the uh you know, the smaller kettlebell and uh, just have them doing it for time. And, you know, it, it wear us out. But I just thought it was so great that I had that one-on-one instruction with form. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to mess my back up. And I would have tried to go too heavy. And, uh, you know, I think it's something you definitely want to, you know, make sure you're doing it properly. Um, you know, if you've got an instructor or somebody in town who can, you know, critique you and show you, you know, how to do it properly, I think it's just going to make it, you know, make your gains that much, much better for you. Yep. I'll go back to something I said last week. Um, I think part of what will determine how much you benefit from something like this is how much you enjoy it. If, if you enjoy True. it, yeah, you're really going to get into it and get a lot of benefits from it. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not sure if you would enjoy it, give it a try. If you don't know much about it, make sure and uh, go to caveman training. There'll be a link in the show notes. In the article, they have several videos attached as well, so you can get an idea what some of the moves are, how to do them correctly, and uh, and you can pick up a kettlebell for like twenty bucks at Walmart or something. So, like you were saying, Byron, for very little uh, uh, space and very little uh, financial investment, you could get into this at your home. Yeah, I, my kettlebell. Uh, when I when I do it, I pull it out from behind the TV. I there's space there, and I and I do some swings and some lifts, circus get-ups, and put it right back on the TV. I said, nobody's so, way. <laughs> yeah. So you think if I uh, put my grandson in a pair of overalls and just grab the back strap there, you think I could make that work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's real caveman training right there. There you go. Uh, 
But uh, he lists the, the three main exercises uh, that, that you'd be looking at for endurance, but really, or for conditioning exercises. But uh, like Gary was talking about, we had a big guy who uh, struggled. Uh, he didn't struggle. We, like Gary was talking about, he had a big person and he, he wanted to do heavier weights. But jujitsu isn't about moving like super heavy weight one time or three times. It's about not having your muscles fail you after 10 minutes or after the third roll or, you know, after a bunch of fatigue sets in. It's about building, like, yeah, you want the power, but you also need to be able to do that a reasonable amount of power for a reasonable amount of time. And when you roll with Gary, an unreasonable amount of time. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what Gary, like last week, Gary was talking about how he enjoys uh, kind of rolling a long time with somebody and pushing them, pushing them, and then they kind of get tired and then it gets real easy. And, you know, I think maybe because some of Gary's kettlebell training, he's able to push that a little bit, even though he's pushing the age category too. I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't know. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't figured that one out there. <laughs> but is, but that, um, is that the way you are kind of, some of your, you think about that, Gary, like, you know, you're rolling with me and you can tell when I'm getting tired. Like, man, it gets easier when he gets tired. Yeah. But I, I normally, I think I'm the guy who gasses out first because of my age. Um, but I think I've learned how to conserve my. Well, you're gassy you know. because of your age. <laughs> yeah, true. That is definitely true. But I, I do think that you know working with kettlebells and and you know any kind of you know weightlifting uh, you know is definitely you know in cardiovascular activity is is going to help me. You know I do think you know the best way to get in shape for jujitsu is jujitsu. But my body can't take doing jujitsu all the time, and and I think kettlebells is a great supplement. Uh, you know, it it really uh, you know strengthens my core, which is something that's really really important. You know, we're working you know these exercises for a long time, which like you said is building that muscular endurance that's going to help me on the mat. And the one thing about kettlebells is it it builds all these muscles that I don't hit hitting regular weights. Like man, just doing regular swings my hamstrings are on fire and you know, I'm like, come on from a swing. It, it doesn't seem like it. The, my hamstrings should get tired, but, uh, they do. And, uh, they, they feel it the next day, but, uh, you know, grip work, you know, we're holding on to that thing for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, grip work is very important, you know, in, in our, uh, in our game. So definitely, uh, check out the article. We have a link to it in the show notes. And, uh, as Byron and Joe said, you know, definitely try kettlebells, uh, you know, let's uh, see what, you know, can't hurt to try it and uh, see if it works for you. That brings me to, uh, uh, you know, like Byron. Byron, you know, said he's tried kettlebells. He's tried different things. But it kind of brings me, uh, we have uh, a portion of the show where we have a fake audio book. That's and true. Most of the time it's uh, Joe and I put on the spot. But, uh, you know, Byron's been working on this one for a while. You know, kettlebells made me think about it. But, you know, Byron, you know, also talks about his caveman training. Um, but Byron's, you know, it's called caveman. Byron's audio book is called Caveman Training. My experience with Kegel balls. And, um, you know, Byron doesn't, you know, he tried to use kettlebells, but he got the name wrong. And he went into a store and asked for Kegel balls. And uh, this audio book is going to tell you all about it. So, Byron, can you tell us a little bit about your audiobook? Uh, of, of course I can tell you about this audiobook. I don't know how I'm going to relate to jiu-jitsu, but uh, the biggest thing is when you're ordering in something like that online, make sure you're on the right website when you order your kettlebells. Kettlebells. 
Eagle Boss. Yeah. Well, that's so I found the whole thing by mistake, but there's a large online community that really works with the Kegel Balls, and and uh, you know not a lot of dudes in there, but I'm one of the better guys at it, and so I'm able to do really well in the men's division, and you know you need somebody to help coach and train you, and nobody better than Joe has been, you know, he's been there for me right by my side. <laughs> that, that's because I do my research, and let me tell you what. You will find if you go to WebMD, Kegels are exercises that help you zero in on and strengthen muscles below the bladder that help control urination. In men, urinary incontinence can be caused by a weak urinary sphincter that may result from surgery or prostate problems, an overactive bladder or bladder that doesn't contract. So if you're having a problem with premature leakage, Kegels are your friend. Yeah, and you know, the one thing, like, I, I know you've talked about this before, Byron, but, you know, your guard, you know, and triangle, anything you need to use to squeeze has gotten a lot better. And you said that had a lot to do with the, the Kegel boss. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, with with the being able to control the bladder a little better, uh, I was less leaky. You know, I didn't want to get like Gary and, and put somebody in triangle and suffer some leakage. I feel terrible about that. Gary didn't seem to... You know, he just does that, and, and people get upset. But that's that's what Gary is. But you know, I really want to have full control. It's hard to stay. So I guess the the root of this book is uh, to work on these exercises, and you'll be able to be fully hydrated, uh, train with a full bladder, and remain remain very strong, and not have any leakage. Um, you know, Gary's also looking for other benefits that are off the mat, but also in grappling. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's really the main thing for me. Yeah. But tell us about the time when uh, you were in the middle, uh, you had already inserted the Kegel balls, and somebody <laughs> broke into your house, and you knocked them out with, you know, by th- by throwing a ball at them, but not with your arms. You know, can you yeah. explain? Yeah, it, it's really bit about hard that? to describe uh, over just audio. But, you know, you've seen those things like the like the ninjas would throw like a, like a couple of... Uh, Throwing star. No, a couple of balls no, with no. a string in the middle and that would oh, wrap okay. around the legs. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to just just move just right and twist your body as uh, as you release the the balls. And the funny thing is, it was scary. Uh, it was scary breaking in my house. And Gary's like, well, I wanted to get a hold of those balls that you were telling me about. <laughs> okay. You want to let me? <laughs> oh, I feel like this went south rather quickly. I get started south. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely check out uh, that audio book that may never be uh, published and probably won't be published. But um, uh, but Byron went down that road, and uh, he's he didn't have any fear, and he tried them out, and, and it's worked great for him. I'm glad Joe brought it kind of into at least a medical field. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, I had a Google, and I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> uh. But do, yeah, Kegel exercises are very important. (laughs) Do not neglect them. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of something that we don't want to be uh, neglectful of is giving a shout-out to a couple of our Patreon supporters. Man, uh, some of our biggest and best uh, listeners are found on Patreon. I want to give a shout-out to Dennis, Brian, and Ramus. And Ramus, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. But you guys are just a handful of people that are on Patreon supporting us every week. If you want to join them, uh, the average uh, 
donation is a dollar per episode. You go on there, you sign up, hey, I want to give a dollar or a couple of dollars per episode that comes out. And then at the end of the month, uh, it uh, will reach out and tell your credit card that, hey, you know, there were six episodes this month or five. And uh, and that's a fairly simple way we were able to be listener supported. Um, if you've noticed, we don't have a whole bunch of ads on here. We have a couple audiobooks that we've made that we are, are proud to sell you guys and, and we think that you guys would enjoy. And then we have Patreon supporters. And that's really what keeps this podcast going strong and growing and doing bigger and better things. We've definitely done some things this year that we haven't done before, like having a big group event. We've done a couple podcasts that were video related, uh, done a big podcast together. Uh, you know, we've got the equipment to do all that sort of thing. And Patreon's a big, big part of that. And when you sign up to be a Patreon supporter, we'll send you out a 5-inch BJJ Brick Gi Patch uh, and a BJJ Brick sticker. And if you want to join the private Facebook group, uh, send me a message at bjjbrick at gmail.com. Say, hey, I'm a Patreon supporter. I want to be in the uh, private group. And you'll get a little insight of what's going on behind the scenes and maybe uh, ask an interview question or two to people that we have coming up. Uh, Still have a couple of pictures of Gary left that are autographed. So if you're interested in that... Uh, it's not too late, although it could be very soon. And <laughs> a couple of lucky Patreon supporters in the future. So, uh, man, just want to give thanks to all the Patreon supporters, especially highlighting Dennis, Brian, and Ramos. Yeah, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. And uh, it keeps podcasts going. Helps us put out a better quality product every week. Regardless of how Gary tries to change it to be Kiko Balls. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quality, guys. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Speaking of quality, you do not want to miss episode 255 next week. We have on Mitch Hall. Uh, so it's going to be an awesome show. Do not miss it. Tell all your friends about it. Yep. Uh, Mitch is a training partner or uh, a, a black belt that trains with uh, Rolly Delgado. And talking with Rolly so much during the event, he, he, he's thinking about Mitch. Hey, you got to... Uh, talk to this guy and man what a great idea that was that really had and connected with Mitch and had a great time so that'll be coming up next week man this, these weeks go by fast gentlemen yeah every, seven, go days, every seven days or so a new week rolls around can't believe it that's fast yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week stay sweaty my friends and don't forget to shower train hard train smart get better guys we'll see you on the mats thank you for listening I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Kegel balls, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) I was like, what's Joe... You know, looking, Googling him, and I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) All Kegel balls.